Welcome to the podcast of Midtown Church OKC, a church of the Nazarene. We are a spiritual community of hope and transformation that lives the way of Jesus. We want to develop real relationships and have real conversations, so we would love to hear from you. Find information about our worship services, email a pastor, follow our blog, sign up for our newsletter, and find out how to be a part of our community by visiting our website, midtownchurchokc.org. Jesus, we confess that sometimes silence makes us uncomfortable. In silence, we are reminded of the things that run through our heads all the time. And we are reminded that even our own minds can be a noisy place sometimes. And yet, in silence, we can also experience your goodness that has nothing to do with what we are capable of doing or saying or make happen. Like the beautiful rest of Sabbath, our silence can be a way to enjoy the work that you have already done. And we need this. We've already said together that we come here hungry and thirsty for the things we cannot provide ourselves. And we ask that in your goodness, in your abundant grace and generosity, you would provide more for us than we even know how to ask for or imagine. We ask that as you provide the best gifts, the gift of yourself, that we would be open recipients, that we would be courageous in our obedience, that we would be faithful to the God whose faithfulness has never wavered. We are ready for what is good, and we are ready to be changed. And so this is what we ask for, what we hope for, what we expect in the name of Father, Son, and Spirit. Amen. On the, uh, on the last Sunday of every month, we invite our children to a, uh, children's, um, a children's sermon in the back. Uh, but uh, we have switched this around. And so tonight, those kids who are in this room, kindergarten through fifth grade, you are invited to go with some of our fabulous uh, children's ministry uh, adult leaders to the back to hear a children's sermon, and I would encourage you to do that. This evening, we're going to talk about some things that are rated R, if I could say it that way. Hey, Billy, welcome to church. <laughs> Have a great time. Ashwin, good luck. Okay. See ya. If you, have, if you are in kindergarten through fifth grade, you are welcome to go into the back. We invite you to do so. If you are in this room and you have your Bible or you don't, if you have your Bible, I want to invite you to turn to the Gospel of John chapter 1. And if you don't have a Bible, we have some friends who have Bibles and they can lend you a Bible. I'm going to be reading out of the New Living Translation. 
And uh, we're going to be reading the Gospel of John, chapter 1, starting with verse 43. This is the lectionary passage out of the Gospel this evening. If you just need to borrow a Bible, you can just borrow it. If you need to have one because you don't own a Bible, you can have this. This is our gift to you. But I would like to invite you to stand as we listen to and read the word of the Lord, the shocking word of the Lord for us this evening. Hear the word of the Lord from John chapter 1, starting with verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, come follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew and Peter's hometown. Philip Philip went to look for Nathanael and told him, We have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nazareth, exclaimed Nathanael. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Come and see for yourself, Philip replied. As they approached, Jesus said, Now here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. How do you know about me, Nathanael asked. Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. Then Nathanael exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. And Jesus asked him, do you believe this just because I told you I had seen you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. Then he said, I tell you the truth, you will all see heaven open up and the angels of God going up and down on the Son of Man, referring to himself, the one who is the stairway between heaven and earth. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let us say together, thanks be to God. You may be seated. So I'm warning you, it's rated R. In 2006, after many years of training and uh, rigorous vetting, uh, the elders of the church placed their hands on my head during a ceremony of ordination. Reverend David Busick, I remember, was there. He's my pastor and my friend, and he prayed the pastoral blessing as the ordained men and women representing the apostles themselves uh, leaned over me. And I need to tell you that I felt them. I felt all of them in that moment. But not just those that were present on that day. I felt the disciples, Peter, James, John, Aquila, Priscilla, Paul, Timothy, the mothers and the fathers of the early church, Augustine, Luther, Calvin, Wesley, Brzee, King. I felt them all. I felt the martyrs themselves as they leaned over me. And, their, and they, it came there in the heavy hands of Dr. J.K. Warwick, who was the general superintendent. And he stood there with his hands on my head. As a young person, I felt called. And now this call was being affirmed. I've got a picture of this moment. Now, the church charged me with these sacred and, I will have you know, scary responsibilities. They're the same ones that Paul gave Timothy in the first letter that he wrote to him. Dr. Warwick said these things out of 1 Timothy, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. And keep your head 
Keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. Another way to say it was this. We are charging you to be lovingly courageous with your words. Be willing to say hard things. Use your words for love. Be faithful to tell the whole Christian story. Leave nothing out and make sure that people don't, don't mistake it for any other story. And then in that moment, I was ordained an elder in the Church of the Nazarene and the Church of God. Our Catholic brothers and sisters see ordination as a sacrament, one of those sacred spiritual rites like baptism or the Lord's Supper. Supper. It's, a, it's a ministry of grace, and I'm coming to believe that it's a sacrament as well. As you could see in that picture, I take this pastoral, priestly, prophetic call and the responsibilities that come with it seriously. And I am committed, 100%, and I've given my life to it, to invite you, a group of people called the church, to see the world and others in it in shocking and dramatic new ways, in light of the values that are shaped by the Christian story, and so that we together can reimagine a new way forward. So I think that God is still calling people, not just to ordained ministry, but I believe that God is calling the church. But I'll let you know that I also believe that the church, especially in North America, is having a very hard time hearing this call. And it's very difficult for us to make a move by which we can reimagine a new way forward. So in our text, Philip and Andrew heard a call from Jesus, and in doing so, they caught a glimpse of this new way forward, and it inspired them. Their desires changed. Everything about them changed. And John tells us, uh, John tells us that uh, they were given this small invitation. It was simply a call by Jesus to just simply follow. But I think there's something very important here in this text, something that cannot be missed. And that is when Jesus called these two men to follow him, something shows us in their response a, a primal human need. Something, uh, something rings in the heart of every single human being Jesus, when Jesus calls these two men. And that is, we all have a need to be noticed. Jesus noticed these two men. The kid at school, the new kid at school, the, the woman that at work goes about her job with 100% faithfulness, the visitor who comes to the church, the young man or the young woman who is just longing for a serious relationship, notice me, is the human heart cry. And Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph, the one that John says that Moses and the prophets had been writing about, he notices these two men and he just says, follow me. A call, as small as it might be, has the ability to change somebody's life forever. And it does so for Philip and for Andrew. The call, in the call, they are overcome. They are changed by the invitation and it alters their life traje tra trajectory. They can see a new way forward. And then they begin to realize that while they see a new way forward, they also realize that not everybody else can. 
when Philip told Nathaniel about his life-changing call, Nathaniel burst out laughing. Nathaniel's the kind of guy that is like so many others. He doesn't want to just be noticed. He, he wants the right people to notice him. He wants to be noticed by the CEO or the professional scout or the head cheerleader to notice. He, he, he was one of those that wanted to be celebrated by the crowds, to be noticed by those that will advance his status or give him better opportunities, a better opportunity to earn more or achieve more or to get more. He's, he reminds me of Michael Scott on The Office when Michael Scott said, do I need to be liked? Absolutely not. I like to be liked. I enjoy being liked. I have to be liked, but it's not like this compulsive need to be liked like my need to be praised. I love that line. <laughs> In short, Nathaniel is a narcissist, and he's prejudiced, and he's judgmental. He's a wise guy, clever, smart mouth, and he's demeaning. Are you serious, Nazareth? Nothing good can come from Nazareth. You know, there's a modern-day statement that we've all heard. The President of the United States gave it to us this week when he made reference to areas of the world that are impoverished, that have no way to contribute to either the, the local or the global economy, those places that are in short supply of resources. You heard what he said about it. Those places are... So, of course, it set, up a, it set off another media firestorm. I want you to know that these are the places in the world where the Church of the Nazarene is actually growing. These are the places that have thousands of churches. Our brothers and sisters in the faith live in these places, and I'll have you know that I'm bothered I'm really bothered. I'm not bothered because of the type of language that he used, and to be quite honest, I've been tempted to just use the language. I'm not even bothered of the fact that he denied using the language when he did, and I'm not bothered that, I'm not even bothered because he once again uses words that demean and judge people. I'm not bothered by any of that. I'm bothered because I'm an ordained elder, and I took a sacred vow and I'm bothered by the fact that the larger church, specifically in North America, has attempted, has struggled to attempt to find a position that relates to issues like this. We have treated people who cannot contribute to the local or the global level as worthless. And North American Christians, for the most part, including its pastors and its leaders, have been silent when it comes to issues of justice like this. The church is a cosmic yet embodied entity that promotes an alternative way. We've said it time and time again. This is a new political system. It has a new king. But this new political system has laws. Jesus' new political system where he is in charge and he is the example have laws. And it looks like this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Pray for those who persecute you. Turn the other cheek. 
walk the extra mile, visit the sick, offer a glass of water to the thirsty, feed the hungry and visit the imprisoned, provide an opportunity, wash one another's feet, establish peace and mercy and justice. And when you're doing this, walk humbly with your God. You know what Jesus has done? He has given us a new way forward in the mission. Church, take notice of the world. Take notice. This is our way forward. Jesus of Nazareth took notice, and he invited others to do the same. Philip and Andrew, they could see it. Nathaniel couldn't. Now, I'll confess to you, Yet most of my life, I've been more like Nathaniel than Andrew or Philip. And I've told you in the past that I grew up in this little tiny church where essentially I just thought I was better than everybody else. My mother and my father had graduated from college, and so did my pastor. There was one other person who had graduated from college, but most of the people in my church hadn't even graduated from high school. The place was filled with mental illness and poverty, and we could use the president's description for that place. The town wasn't much better. And I was glad to get away, but when I enrolled in college at a private school called Olivet Nazarene University, I, like Nathaniel, no, uh, longed to be noticed by all the right people. I wanted everybody to think that I was important. I didn't want anyone to know that I was from that kind of place. But when I was there, Jesus took notice. And I heard his call. I first heard his call when I was young, but now in school, I had this experience whereby I could see forward in a whole new way. Growing up, I had heard many times from those same people in that same little church, Jesus died on the cross for you. Jesus died to save the world. But I could not see the application. It didn't make any sense to me. I could not see uh, how it made a difference in my life and what the practical implications were that 2,000 years ago, Jesus of Nazareth died on a cross. I couldn't figure out what the cross meant. I, I didn't even understand what actually happened when Jesus died and, and how it showed us a new way forward. But I was sitting in a theology class one day, and we were talking about the cross, what it was and what it meant. And we talked about Jesus' journey to Jerusalem, this fabulous city of God, and how he was obedient to the point of death, and he surrendered to that death, and how the government officials were the ones who killed him. And he went, he went along with it, embracing death with arms wide open. So I said, okay, so that's a great part of the story. So what? What actually happened? I raised my hand. What actually happened when Jesus was crucified? What does this actually mean? What does crucifixion mean? And my professor responded this way. Have you ever noticed the cross in the Kelly Prayer Chapel? So on the campus of our college, there's this little chapel called the Kelly Prayer Chapel. And I've got a picture of the Kelly Prayer cha Chapel. That's what it looks like in the wintertime. I've got one of what it looks like in the fall. Can you show that, Jordan? See right there, there's a little bench. That's where we sat when Holly begged me to take her back after a breakup. 
So this is a picture of the inside of the chapel. You can't see it very well, but the chapel holds about 100 people. And at the front of the chapel, you can see a symbol of a cross with a traditional what we call Christogram. Christograms aren't used very, in very many churches of the Nazarene, but they are a worldwide symbol in many churches. And for some reason, somebody thought it was important to put one in this chapel, and I'm glad they did. I've got a zoomed-up picture of a Christogram. So the Christogram is a combination of letters that forms an abbreviation for the name Jesus Christ. It's a religious symbol in many churches. If you go to the Christ experience, there is a cross with a Christogram on it at the front of the platform. Among Catholics and Protestants today, this, the, most, the most frequently used Christogram is the one that says IHS on it, denoting the first three letters of the Greek name of Jesus. Iota, Eta, Sigma, I-H-S. It's sometimes interpreted as meaning Jesus omnum salvator, which means in Latin, Jesus, Savior of humanity. It is a symbol that reminds us that Jesus has come to save the whole world. And when my professor asked me this question, I discovered the answer to the question can be found in these letters and this symbol. My professor told me that he had a master's student that was wrestling with faith. He danced between agnosticism and full-on total surrender, and the freedom that he longed for collided with his, his confusion about the suffering that he had personally felt in his own life and that he could, that he could see and experience in the world. He had a hard time grappling with this intellectual gap that, that happened where the with the crucifixion and the fact that he wanted to be a person of faith and that he didn't understand faith at all. And he could not understand the crucifixion either. So that student went to the prayer chapel and struggling with faith and doubt at the very same time, in the same moment, he paced the room late into the night only to find himself at the altar with his back to the front. His back was to the Christogram. And in an act of desperation, he looked up to the ceiling and he cried out, what does this all mean? And as he looked above him, he could see it. It became clear. The Christogram was there, and he could see it upside down. And the answer that he was longing for was spelled out right in front of him, clear as day. S-H-I. It seems irreverent and even offensive to say, but isn't that the point? This is what makes Jesus' invitation so remarkable. Jesus, not only was he born into a trough, born into a trough filled with the stuff, and he came from a place that fits the description, but he became this trash. Garbage, filth, excrement. What is it that somebody calls another person that they see as disgusting? Not worth anything? A piece of 
This is the symbol of our salvation. He became what we are so that we can become what he is. Pilate was the ruling, governing official of that day, and he represents the status quo, the squeaky clean. He did a religious thing. He washed his hands as an act of purification and cleanliness of the whole incident. But Jesus from Nazareth, a place who was the son of Joseph, was also the son of God. He was the word, the word that was with God and the word that was God. And he was with God from the very beginning. He's the one that John says he is not even worthy to untie his sandals. He didn't just come from that kind of a place. He became that. And in such, by becoming such, he embraced all. All darkness, all sin, all poverty, all injustice, all fear, all suffering, all brokenness, all the S-H-I-T. He became Jesus Omnum Salvator, which means Jesus, the Savior of humanity. We say this every week, and while we were still sinners, God died in solidarity with us, and now, guess what happens? You and I are not alone. We belong to God, and we belong to one another, because the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead is the power of God that lifts those that God loves out of the muck and the mud, out of the crap, and it's an invitation to begin to imagine a new way forward for the sake of our neighbors who come from these kinds of places and have nothing to contribute, either locally or globally. The very nature of God is to become and to live among those who reside in injustice and poverty, homelessness, abuse, threat of war, fear, and they have to do it every single day. This, my friends, is what I have been ordained to tell you. This is the story and none other that shapes the church. Jesus notices and because of that, so do we. This is why the church, Christian people, are the ones who have given their lives. It's been demonstrated in baptism, and then they go and they identify with the worst of the world. They're the ones who are on the front lines working to counter the spread of HIV. They're the ones who are providing the health care for the devastated during natural disasters. They're the ones who are educating the young when no education is available. They're the ones who are letting orphans move into their homes. They're the ones that are bringing in clean water during after a hurricane. And I know, literally, I know people who are doing this. This is why, my friends, we are moving to 8th Street. We are not going because it's so great. We go because it's had a reputation, a place with a description. It's like the place from where our Savior hails. 
He hails from one of those places and went directly to that place. So do we. We are the church of the Nazarene. Our first churches started on Skid Row and in brothels and in pubs and shacks. And here in the U.S., those first ones that were converted were addicts and prostitutes and criminals. And now our church is growing the fastest in those places that are the most disgusting in places like Haiti and the whole continent of Africa, and even in enemy states like Iran and North Korea, the church is growing because the people of God are going to those needs. There is a new way forward, Jesus tells Nathaniel. You are going to see great things. The president's description of these places and these people might be correct. He might be right. But what he does not realize is this, that our Savior willingly went to those kinds of places, still goes to those kinds of places, embraces those kinds of places, becomes those kinds of places, associates with those kinds of peoples, and so do his followers. We refuse, we refuse to see those from these kinds of places, those who are disadvantaged, have different skin color than I do, who uh, are mentally or physically challenged or cannot contribute either locally or globally, uh, on a local or global scale. We refuse to notice them as anything other than valuable. Jesus, he's our new way forward. Finney Seprezee, who is the father of the Church of the Nazarene, kind of a hero of mine, said this, and I hold on to this quote. I remind myself of it all the time. The Church of the Nazarene is the church of the morning. And the sun never sets in the morning. Let us, friends, be this and do this way together. Would you pray with me? So as it is your way, son of Joseph, son of God, Jesus of Nazareth, May this be our way as well. We pray for this, the gift and the grace to live out courageous love for even those who most people want nothing of, who have no way to contribute, either on a global scale or even on a local scale. We ask that you would help us to be the faithful people that you are and you call us to be so that we together might call forth a hopeful way forward. This is what we ask. And we do so in the name of the Father, the one who loves the Son, the one who embraced death and was raised by the Father, and the Spirit, the one who establishes the power to raise us to new life as well. Amen. So we hear Jesus' call.
to follow him in these words. Come to my table. You, my friends, are my delight. Sit at my table and eat with me and share with me in this new way of living. Let us together go forward. You know, those that sat around Jesus' table were some of the worst. And these were the ones he invited. And he, he actually prepared a table for them as he does for you and for me. This table represents the best of what he can give to us, his very body and his very blood. It is the representation of his life and his death and then his life again. So Jesus with his friends at dinner took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he said, this my friends is the sacrifice I make. It is a new covenant, a covenant by which my body would be broken for you And whenever you gather at my table and gather together, I want you to remember me. And then in the same way, after supper, he held up the cup and he said, this cup represents the new covenant that comes in my blood. It is shed and spilled for you. He becomes for us, so we, he he becomes us so that we can become him. And in this, this, this cup, is the new covenant in my blood. And whenever you drink it, when you gather, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. If you're no good, you're nobody, if you come from a no good place, if you've done really, really bad things, if you can't contribute locally or globally, if you don't have an education or you have too much and it's just made you prideful, no matter who you are, if you're a nobody, you get to come to this table because it is open to you regardless from where you hail. This is Jesus' table, and it's open to all who are available to the work that God wants to do in your life. I want to let you know that we want no barriers so that everyone who who wants to participate can. So our bread is gluten-free and our wine is non-alcoholic. But come, come like we do every single week with your hands cup, ready to receive that which comes from God. We do not take communion here. We receive it. All that we have from him is a gift. So come to one of these servers, listen to what they have to say, let them put the bread into your hands, and then dip the bread into the cup and eat it. And if for any reason you are unable to come down our aisle, just wave at Justin and he will come and he will serve you. But when you are ready, come.